your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, welcome. Um, kids, see you kids. Kids can go down. You're unforgotten. Anybody else want to go? Good. Cool. Um, like I said at the start, if you, if you kind of came in after uh, our call to worship, it's good to be back with you. I had a good break, feel rested, um, ready to uh, kind of, ready to go. Um, I'll figure out a way to kind of fill you in on, on the whole sabbatical. Um, right now, uh, if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 23, though, uh, God's Word is far greater than any of mine. So um, we're just kind of going through some psalms in the summer. Uh, psalms are important. Psalms are uh, incredibly great. They're just as great as like Book of Romans or Hebrews or Isaiah, deep theology. Uh, Rome, the, this kind of ancient song book written by Holy Spirit-inspired suffering uh, followers of God. Um, they do a lot for us. Um, they teach us how to pray, don't they? Uh, they teach us how to sing, how to worship, no matter what our circumstances are. So rather, whether, again, you are in like the deepest, deepest pit right now, or you are just like things couldn't be better for you in your life, uh, the Psalms still teach us what it means to, to relate to God in our lives and how to respond to Him. Um, above all, uh, the Psalms teach us who God is, though. Teaches us who God is, particularly to us, His people. Um, God, the, the, the scriptures, they, they use human language, human kind of imagery to uh, show us who God is. That's how he, he likes to, to, to describe himself to us. Uh, and one of, the, one of the ways he loves to describe himself, um, he does it in here in Psalm 23 and then through the rest of scriptures, is he likes to um, relate to, to us as a shepherd. He says, I'm, I'm like a shepherd to you, um, which, which especially for the original ancient Near East listeners would have been very shocking because shepherding work is messy. Um, shepherding work is smelly. You're out in the fields. You're with the sheep. You're tending to sheep. You, you smell like sheep. Um, and God says, that's what I'm like for you. I, I'm a shepherd to you. And Jesus later, he takes up this identity and this role himself. Remember John chapter 10, verse 11, he calls himself the good shepherd. Um, he says, I'm, I'm a shepherd to my people. They, they hear my voice. They know my voice. I call them, I lead them, I lay my life down for them. So Jesus is a shepherd, the good shepherd for us. Um, you keep going in, in, in the church of Jesus Christ, the leaders of his church are called to be shepherds. So it's almost like God saying, I want you leaders to, to be like me in the way that you lead my church. Not in the way that I'm a king or in the way that I'm a ruler, but in the way that I'm a shepherd. I want you to, to, to shepherd my people to be with them, among them, caring for them, protecting them, leading them, smell like them. Um, and so that's what the pastors, the elders, the shepherds of this congregation, uh, our, our role is. For, for you, we are shepherds. We are under shepherds under the chief shepherd, Jesus, that will one day have to give an account to how we shepherd. But our, our ultimate goal is to shepherd you in a way that you feel 
cared for and known by and loved by God, your shepherd. Okay, so if you were to go away and say, man, I just love being part of Village because I feel so cared for by the leaders, that would be great. We'd feel uh, uplifted by that. I'd probably be pretty happy to hear that, but that's not our goal. Our goal is to shepherd you in a way that you go away and say, I love being part of that church because I feel so cared for by God. And the goal is for you to be able to experience Psalm 23 as your own. For you to be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. For it to be your own experience, your own prayer. Let me pray for us one more time and we'll dig deeper into Psalm 23. Um, God, we thank you for being our shepherd. And we thank you for uh, caring for us and leading us. Um, Holy Spirit, we pray again that you would, you would show us what that means this morning. Um, show us what it means for God to be our shepherd. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, in order for you to fully understand Psalm 23, you have to first understand and, and know who the singers of this song are. Um, so there's three main singers or groups of people uh, that, that sing this song as their own, as their experience. Um, the first one is King David, obviously. He's the original writer with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, David is a king of Israel. Okay, he's he's the, the, the most famous king Israel ever had. So we need to understand David's original context in order to understand Psalm 23. Uh, the second person to sing this song as, as their own is who this psalm is, is ultimately about, and that's another king, Jesus. Um, king Jesus um, is, is the true and ultimate singer of this song. So remember, David is the, the most famous king of Israel in the Old Testament, but he's just a, a foreshadow. He's, he's pointing towards a, a truer, better king, uh, which is the king of kings, the Messiah to come, Jesus. Um, so as King David sings this song, he gives us the original context. As, as King Jesus sings this song, he gives us the fulfillment context, okay? So he fulfills this psalm perfectly. Um, I'll try to explain that as we go along. But because Jesus fulfills this psalm perfectly, um, when our faith is in him, when we are in him, this song then becomes, we become the third group to sing this song as our own. Uh, this song becomes ours to sing. It becomes our experience. Okay? So there's, even though you'll notice there's a lot of individual language in this, he leads me, he, he's, you're with me, you prepare a table for me. Um, it's, it's, remember, it's the king that's singing this. That's really important to keep in mind. And what does the king do? He represents the people. So, so, the, so God who is shepherding this king, he's also the shepherd of the people. The, the, the king's experience becomes our experience as he represents us. And um, hopefully that'll make more sense as we move along. But you have to have those kind of three singers in mind to understand Psalm 23, okay? So again, the goal is for you to sing Psalm 23, for as your own, as your own experience. We want you to, to know God as your shepherd. And so Psalm 23 helps answer that question, what does it mean to have God as your shepherd? What does that experience look like? And there's three things Psalm 23 shows us, which we'll look at this morning. Uh, the first thing we see that it means is that he is leading me. He is leading me. He's leading you. He's leading us. 
Again, it's, indiv- it's individual, but it's also corporate and communal. God as shepherd means he is leading me. Read verses one to three again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me or he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he's leading me. He's leading us. And here's one thing you notice about his leadership. Do you notice how intimate it is? So there's, it's, there, there's a communal corporate concern we should have about Psalm 23. But again, this is King David. Uh, he's, he represents the greater people. The king's experience becomes our experience. But for David, this is a very intimate and personal psalm. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's mine. And do you notice the, the confidence that David has when he's thinking about who the Lord is for him? He's thinking about someone who, who is completely devoted to him. He's thinking about someone who is, who is personally devoted to him. He is my shepherd. And do you see how intimate this language is? He's using personal possessive pronouns. It's hard to say. Th- those get tricky when you, when you use this kind of that person is mine kind of language. Because you can only use that kind of language with a specific kind of person. Um, you, you can't just say, oh, she's mine or he's mine about anyone. I can say that about my wife. She's my Jenny. She, she's my Jenny. We have this personal, intimate relationship that I don't have with the rest of you. It'd be weird if I said that about some of you. Okay? I can say that about my son, Abraham. That's my boy. He, he's my son. I, I would do anything for him, not in an oppressive way, but in an intimate way, right? He's mine. There's a few people in my life that I have that intimate assumption with, you know what I mean? I'm theirs, they are mine. The Lord is my shepherd. He's mine, and I am his. Let me ask you, in in his leading in your life, when's the last time you felt that intimacy with him? Do you know that intimacy? When's the last time you experienced that? That he's intimately committed and invested in giving himself to you? Do you have that kind of relationship with him? When's the last time you felt that kind of intimacy with the Lord? He's mine. I'm his. I know kind of leaning into that level of intimacy with God can be a little bit challenging for some people. Okay, And there's generally two kind of reasons for that, um, two kind of people. Some of you are just a little bit too macho. Okay, You're just a little bit too uh, stiff, Okay, you feel weird about having intimacy with God. Um, he, that that he's mine kind of language is 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 strange to you. Um, so in that scenario, you tend to have a skewed version of of, of yourself. Okay, you, 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 what you need to do is actually understand that you are a sheep in this relationship. You are not the shepherd. You are not the leading one. You are not the strong one. You are not the guiding one. You're not the one in control. You are a sheep who needs to be led. You, you, you are a sheep who needs to be cared for, who needs to be picked up in the shepherd's arms and brought back to safety when you go astray. There's that level of intimacy that you desperately need. And you only, you only can do that if you recognize that you are a, a desperate sheep. 
So you might need to soften up. You might need to humble yourself. You need to become more gentle. You need to recognize your need of a tender, intimate shepherd. And some of you, on the other hand, find this difficult because you might have had bad shepherds in your past. Okay, flawed, flawed pastors, flawed fathers. Um, in this scenario, you, you tend to have a skewed view of God, of who he is. Um, listen, if this is the case for you, I'm so sorry. Okay, I'm so sorry that, uh, that you've had a hurtful experience with earthly shepherds in your life. But also let me beg you not to let that past experience get in the way of experiencing the, the loving care of the good shepherd. So you might need to correct your view of who God is as shepherd. And the way you do that is you go to the scriptures and you see how he shepherds his people. And when you do that, what you'll see is he's, he's a good shepherd. He's, he's, he's perfect in his leading, in his shepherding. When he makes a promise, he never fails to keep it. He's so perfect. He's so loving in the way that he leads and shepherds. The, my suggestion for both kinds of people is to just start practicing it and to start leaning and be open to God's intimacy. So maybe the next time you pray, the next time you, you have your Bible open, maybe just start by saying to yourself or out loud, I'm yours. I'm yours. And then you can imagine God saying, except you don't have to imagine it because he actually says this and proves through the scriptures. He, imagine him saying back, well, I'm yours. I'm yours. Because he is your shepherd. He is actually perfectly committed to you. It's not your imagination. Because you know what it means to say, I'm yours to someone? To say, I'm yours is incredibly costly, isn't it? It's incredibly costly. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of standing right here and uh, officiating uh, David Smith and Sarah Addis's wedding. So they are now David and Sarah Smith. They are married now. Um, and they stood here holding each other's hands, looking into each other's eyes, and they said to one another, and before God and before a whole room of their friends and family, they said, I'm yours. No matter what comes, I'm yours until the day I die. And that wedding, Paul says, that's a picture of Christ's love for his people, for his church. And the reason it's so beautiful is because it's so costly to say that to someone. It means I'm giving up a lot for you. I'm giving up uh, personal comfort. I'm giving up uh, a lot of choices. I'm giving up uh, preferences to give myself to you. So saying I'm yours, it assumes this sacrificial posture towards someone. And when you say, I'm yours, when God says, I'm yours, that actually led him all the way to the cross. When, God, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he means I lay myself down for my sheep. And he did, and it led him all the way to death on a cross on your behalf. That was Jesus ultimately saying, I'm yours. And so when we say to God, I'm yours, that's a costly thing. It's a scary thing to say because it's so costly because it's a sacrificial posture. It means I'm giving up my preferences to how I'll use my money. I'm giving up my preferences to how I'll use my body. I'm giving up my preferences to how I'll, I'll, I'll use my work life. I'm no longer my own. I'm his and he's mine. 
You see this deep intimacy here? The Lord is my shepherd. Where is he leading? There's an intimacy there, but he's, he's intimately leading us somewhere. So where is he leading? Well, David says, he's leading me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me to still waters. That word still, it means this resting place. It literally means quietness. He leads to green pastures, to quiet waters. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Sounds restorative. And remember, David, he's not writing about these green pastures, still waters from Ireland. Okay? He's writing them from the ancient Near East, which is a dry and arid climate. Okay? Um, we, we live here. You can drive about 15, 20 minutes, and you're in green pastures. You're in rolling hills. Everything is wet here. Okay? That's not David's uh, situation. He lives in a dry, arid climate. He's in the desert. Um, our family, we, we flew to Portugal a few weeks ago, and as we were coming in to land, sitting next to my daughter, Ida, and she's looking out the window, I was like, what do you think? And she's like, it's, it's very brown. <laughs> like, where's, where's the green? <laughs> she's never seen that before. And, and David's in Israel, it's even more dry, it's even more arid. So, so the lush green pastures that he's speaking of, you've got to search for that. Okay, that's, that's something that you long for. It's a mystery where that is. You have to search it out. So what David's saying here, I think, is, is that the normal human experience, it's a desert-like experience. Okay, there's a, there's a kind of danger to it. There's a, a longing for comfort. There's a needing of safety. There's a longing for relief. That's our experience as humans, isn't it? But David says the normal experience of God's leadership in your life is regularly bringing your soul into a place of abundance and rest and safety. What does he say? He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Do you want that? He restores my soul. The word restore literally means to return. It's this retrieval. It's this uh, revival It's a picture of a lost sheep, isn't it? A lost, wayward sheep. It's wandering, it's lost, it's hungry, it's thirsty, it's confused. And the shepherd retrieves and revives the sheep. Except David here is talking about his soul. This wandering, thirsty, confused, hungry, wayward soul. He retrieves it and he restores it. He restores it. He revives it. He leads them to green pastures, to still, quiet waters, the place of plenty. And again, remember who's writing this. This is David, who's the king. He's the king of Israel. He's the most famous man in Israel. He's the leader of a great army. He's busy. He's got a nation to lead. David isn't some escapist who just always wants to go out into the wilderness and contemplate being restored, okay? Don't think of Ferdinand the bull who just wants to go and sit under the cork tree and smell the, smell the flowers while everything else is fighting around him. No, he's a busy, important man. But here's the thing for David. In his busyness, he is shepherded by God in a way that he has a quiet and restful soul. Read David's story. There, there are countless times in his life of times of trouble, times of, of disappointment, where he's wounded, where he fails. He's lost. 
He's lonely. He's scared. Can anyone relate with David? You're lost, you're wounded, you're lonely, you're hurt. But, David says, the shepherd of his soul retrieves and revives and restores. Like being brought to still, quiet waters and to green pastures. Listen to me, I think the most, one of the most countercultural things that we can do as a church family is go and be your ordinary selves, okay? Go be a teacher, go be a doctor, go be a stay-at-home parent, a barista, an artist, an architect, a pharmacist. There's people who are, who are out there, who are busy, who are hard at work, but those things in your lives are not the shepherd of your soul. We are people who say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is the shepherd of my soul. So when people look in on us, they, they say, hey, those people, there's something really ordinary about them, but they have this quiet and still and restored soul. They have this non-anxious heart. It's so countercultural. So how do you follow a shepherd like this? How do you do it? Okay, because this is the kind of life that I want, right? I'm assuming this is the kind of life that you want. So how do you follow a shepherd like this? A couple things that we learn from David here is firstly, you, you've, you've got to have confidence in the shepherd, right? And you have to have confidence that the shepherd knows the way. And he can lead you. But what do most of us do? Most of us think that we know the way. We, we, we know what to do. That's, that's what sheep do, right? They go off. They, they wander. They get confused. They get tired. They thought they knew the way. We tend to think, right, if I can just get this position in my life, then I won't want anymore. If I can just get this level of income in my life, this job, this house, this relationship, then I won't want anymore. Listen, if you want to know who or what the shepherd in your life is, if you want to know what you believe is going to be with you until the very end, it's what you think, if I could just have this, then I won't want anymore. That's your shepherd. It's what you think, if I can just attain this, if I can just have this, then I won't want anymore. That's your shepherd. But let me tell you, your work makes for a bad shepherd of your soul. Your, your spouse makes for a bad shepherd of your soul. Your children can make for bad shepherds of your soul. You are a bad shepherd of your soul. Stuff, clothes and houses, and those things are bad shepherds of your soul. They, they make for anti-Psalm 23. Okay, just fill in the blank. My whatever is the shepherd of my soul, I'm always wanting my work is my shepherd. My image is my shepherd. My comfort is my shepherd. My money is my shepherd. I'm always wanting. I'm on my own. I'm the one who has to look out for my own needs. No one's truly looking after me. I'm easily frustrated. I'm always disappointed. I'm often thirsty. I'm ever anxious. I'm never satisfied. I'm always hungry and never filled. And if I were to lose my money, if I were to lose my job, 
If I were to lose my looks or my skills, then I would be truly lost. Can you say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want? I, I shall not want, not because I have everything that I want, but because the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that with confidence? Here's the other thing you need in order to follow him. You need not only have confidence that he knows the ways to guide you to the green pastures, to the still waters, you also need regular times of stillness and quiet listening. You need quiet listening and stillness of heart before God. Here's the thing about following God, the shepherd, is there's an art to it, okay? It's, it's relationships are art. Relationships are not science, are they? It's not, there's not a formula. There's not a science. There's not a putting signs together. It's, it's an art. There, there's, there's, a, a, there's a learning, learning him, learning how to be with him. It's, it's sitting quietly with your Bible open and being okay with awkward stillness for a while. It's fighting that urge to, to look at your phone one more time. Fighting that urge to add one more thing to your to-do list. And listening to God. Being with him. In the quiet, in the stillness. It's, it's opening your heart before God's word and prayer and asking questions like, where am I not following God? When's the last time you asked yourself that question seriously? It's asking questions like, where is my heart disbelieving? What's causing me to continually stumble and go, go wayward? Where do I need help? Where do I need to confess? Where do I need healing and comfort? Where are you leading me, Lord? He's leading me. That's the first thing about this psalm. First thing about God as your shepherd means he is leading you. The second thing we see is he is present with me. He is present with me. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows Okay, this section tells us a lot about what it means to have God as your shepherd. Um, first section tells us that God as your shepherd means he is leading us. He is leading to green pastures, to still waters. He is restoring your soul. Verse 4 makes it clear, though, that the path to those green pastures is the path of suffering. Okay, it takes the, the king here through the darkest valley. Through the, the, the darkest valley of the shadow of death. Yet even here, as, as King David goes into this dark valley, and think again as King Jesus went deep into the valley of the, uh, of the cross, verse 4 says, even though that's the case, he need ultimately fear no evil. Okay, there's this confidence again, do you see? There's no need to fear evil. There's no need to dread evil. And David says the reason he needs not fear is because not only does he have a shepherd who is leading him, who knows the way, he also has a shepherd who is present with him in the darkness, in the deep valley. He's present with him. He's with me. 
So again, think of the three singers of the song. David is king. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death, but he doesn't fear because he knows that God is with him. Okay, his rod, his crook protect him, comfort him, guide him. King Jesus, he ultimately walks through the darkest, deepest valley to the cross on our behalf, and he's able to do that because he trusts his father. He trusts his shepherd. And then we, with King Jesus as our king, as our shepherd, we too are called to walk through the shadow of death. We too are called to walk through that valley Okay, in small ways, with, with, with trials and sickness, and then in deeper ways as we face death itself. Yet even in the deepest, darkest valley, in the darkest trial, the place where death seems to cover your soul, the, the place where the, the darkness is so black that there seems to be no hope, even there we may trust Jesus, the king who walks through the darkness first, but who is also now our good shepherd. Why? Because we can trust him because he's walked through the valley before us. He's done it. He leads us. He knows the way. But more than that, we can trust him because he is present with us. He is with us. He is near. He walks with us. Do you see the confidence again here because of the presence of the shepherd? Do you notice how David, how he describes this presence? Notice, notice what he tells us it's like having the presence of the shepherd in the darkness, he says it's like feasting. It's like a banquet. Do you see that feasting language? You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, it overflows. That's incredible, isn't it? Like David says, the experience of walking through the dark valley of death with God by his side, it's like a feast. It's like a banquet that God has invited you to and is hosting himself. It's a feast. Have you ever been to a really great feast? I love a great feast. Like, like a really great dinner party, a really great meal, like where the table is presented and it's prepared. The food is succulent. The, the wine is beautiful and plenty. The experience of that is what? It's, it's satisfied taste buds and the joy of the company around that table. The, woo, the food, the wine, the, the love. And this feast, David says, it, it's what the normal way to experience God's presence with you. Even in the darkest valley. Do you know that? Have you experienced that? Don't you long for that kind of satisfaction? Like in our, our corporate times of gathering together to feel that kind of feasting, but also in your personal times of solitude and stillness and prayer, don't you long for his presence to stimulate and satisfy the taste buds of your soul the way that a feast stimulates and satisfies the taste buds of your tongue? Don't you want that? What's really interesting is when he is experiencing this feast. He says, it's when I'm in the presence of my enemies so most Bible scholars agree that this is, this is a wartime psalm. It's not a peacetime psalm. You can hear it in, the, in the, the language, right? He has to prepare for death. He's walking through this valley of the shadow of death. He needs this rod and this staff to protect him, to comfort him. He has this enemy surrounding him. So this, this doesn't seem to be a peacetime psalm. And one thing that everyone knows about wartime is there's no feasting in wartime, Right? that you eat rations during wartime, that things are scarce. Feasting is not for wartime. 
Feasting is slow. Feasting is relaxing. Feasting is full of joy. You eat on the run in wartime. Verse 5 is basically a victory meal before the war is over. So he had this feast in the middle of his his trouble. So what is David talking about? David is living as if the reality of the eternal joy and pleasure and feasting in the presence of God is greater than the reality of the presence of his trouble. He's living as if the reality of having God's presence is greater than the reality of his current circumstances, his current trouble. There's probably pretty good evidence that David struggled with anxiety, that he, he struggled, and he, he wrote about half of the Psalms. There's few people, isn't there, in the Bible that you can peer into the depths of their soul like you can with David? Um, you see him over and over again fear, uh, deal with anxiety, deal with, deal with fear. And over and over again in his Psalms, he does what he does here in Psalm 23. He takes an opportunity to preach to himself. Okay, he takes this moment to remind himself that the reality of having the presence of God and the joy and the security and the comfort that comes with that, it's greater than the reality of his anxieties and his fear. So David has learned where to go when trouble comes. He doesn't look for ways to, to cover up his trouble. He doesn't look for ways to cover up his anxiety and his fear. He doesn't go after cheap comforts. He doesn't numb them. Instead, he takes them into the presence of God. He does that because he knows that that's the only place to be healed. That's the only place where his soul is restored and comforted. If he numbs it, it's always going to be there. But he knows if he dwells in the presence of the Lord, that's where healing happens. That's where his soul is restored. He's learned to remind himself that even when he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, God will be with him. Do you see the contrast here between the, the, the green pastures, the still waters? Okay, it's a beautiful place. It's a place of, of comfort. It's a place of company. And then there's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And I've been reading through the Lord of the Rings trilogy on my break. Um, and you have that contrast, don't you? The Shire. The Shire is the place of comfort. Okay, it's the place of coziness and gardens and, and, and dinner parties and joy. It's comfy in the, in the Shire. It's great. And then you have the journey to Mordor. Okay, you're walking through the shadows of death. There's dead marshes outside Mordor. There's death everywhere. There's dark mist. And here's the thing about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's lonely. It's a walk of solitude. And... Frodo, he's, he's, he's lonely on the journey, isn't he? Even though he's, he's surrounded at times by a supportive company, even though at times he has his, his closest companion, Sam, it's still heavier and it's still a lonelier journey for Frodo. No one quite knows what it's like for him. Sam tries. Sam, Sam keeps his eye on him. He clo- he's, he's loving. He's caring. He stays near. But even he doesn't quite know the heaviness for Frodo. 
And that's what it can be like. I'll tell you from experience, the, the, the deepest, darkest valleys, like you need that comfort of your community. You need that, the, the companions, but it's still lonely. There's still a darkness and loneliness that no one else can know. The valley of the shadow of death is a solitary walk. But David knows that even there, God is present. And he, and he comes with him. Okay, there, there's a limit to how close and intimate others can get to you. There is. But David knows there's no limit to the closeness and intimacy of God. There's no limit to that. The intimacy of God, he, he shepherds you. He leads you through the shadow. He is with you there. He is present in the valley of death. Because the goal of verse 6, the goal of the entire psalm is, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord hosts this feast in his trouble. He's a companion in death. He welcomes me into a dwelling place forever. I have a dwelling place with God. The most literal translation of that verse is, I have a dwelling place in God's dwelling place. Again, do you see the confidence that David has here? That's incredibly confident. That's, I have a room in Buckingham Palace. I, I stay in the Lincoln bedroom in the White House. Except times infinity, I have a dwelling place in the house of Yahweh, the eternal God. I'm at home there. I'm not a stranger. I'm not a sojourner. I'm not a visitor. I'm at home there. Christian, you are a sojourner here on earth. You're a visitor. You are not a sojourner in the house of God. That's one of the most incredible New Testament truths, isn't it? That 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 um, that, that is something that you will experience in full in the age to come. But it's also true now that you're journeying here, but even now, even through the dark valley, you have a dwelling place. You have a home in the house of God. Do you experience your life with God that way? Like when you, when you, when you come to him and pray, when you maybe cry out in times of trouble, do you do that as a visitor? Do, do you do that as a, as a sojourner? Do you come to him, kind of drop your request, and then you kind of feel awkward, then you leave? I hope he reads that. I hope he gets that. You don't really belong there. You feel like a visitor hoping he'll help. Does that describe your relationship with God? When you're praying, when you're crying out in times of need, do you feel like a visitor or do you feel at home? When you come to him, do you say, this is where I belong. Finally, I'm home. This is my dwelling place. Listen, the work of Christ on the cross was so that you may experience the presence of God, not as a visitor, not as a sojourner, not as an outsider, but as a dweller as one who belongs. Listen, if you feel like a visitor when you come to God, if you feel like you don't belong, maybe, maybe for you it's been a long time since you've, you've come to him in that way. 
Maybe, maybe you've never dreamed of attempting this. And let me beg you, don't ignore that feeling. Don't just live and, and, and as if you well, hope we'll get over that someday. Talk to someone about that. Talk, talk to me about that. Talk to whoever you came with today. Today is the day to no longer act and believe and live like you are a sojourner in the presence of God. Christ died so that you would never have to feel that way. Paul says, you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're members of his household. Christ died on the cross in your place so that you can be called a friend of God. No longer a stranger and alien, but a member of his home. Jesus walked through the darkest valley of death in order to bring you in. In order to make it possible for you to say with confidence, just like with David, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lastly, I'm wrapping up here. So he's leading me. He's with me. He's present with me. And lastly, he's following me. He's following me. So David says in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You see the progression in this psalm? Okay, at one point the shepherd is leading me. He's ahead of me. He's before me. Okay, and then he's with me. He's present with me. And then now he's following me. He's behind me. Following me home with goodness and mercy. You've heard the, the, that famous prayer of Patrick. Well, we're going to say it at the end. Um, he reflects on the presence of Christ and the life of a Christian. And he says, Christ is with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit, Christ when I stand, Christ with me now and always. The shepherd is before me, the shepherd is beside me, the shepherd is behind me. The language of goodness and mercy following me all the days of my life, that's very, very special language. Um, that word follow, actually, it's more aggressive. It's to pursue. It's to chase after. Okay, he's saying the Lord's goodness and his mercy will chase you down. You cannot get away. You will not escape it. It's an image of sheepdogs, right? There go goodness and mercy following after the sheep again, gathering them up. The goodness and the mercy of God will chase him down and follow him. That, that goodness of the shepherd, the mercy, that word mercy, it's a special, special word. It's said, it's the covenant love of God. The covenant love of God, the goodness and the covenant steadfast love of God is David's to enjoy in fellowship with God, his father, forever and ever. And amazing. That's what David desires most. That's whether you believe it or not or know it or not, that's what you desire most. That's what your heart longs for most. That we will enjoy him forever in his house. In this house of the Lord, David will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Psalm 27. And when this, when this following after, when it becomes most beautiful... It's when you apply it to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, isn't it? 
when he chased you down with his goodness and his mercy, his steadfast love. Because it's, it's hard to think of God as shepherd in some ways. There's limits to that, isn't there? Right? Because shepherds are lowly. It's dirty work. Shepherds smell like sheep. And God is transcendent. <laughs> he's far off. He's, he's high and lofty. He's above. He doesn't smell like sheep until he does. By the Son of God who came down to smell like sheep. He was the one who came to pursue at our level. He was the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep. He himself becomes the Lamb of God who is slain, away, slain to take away the sins of the world. Jesus left the eternal glories of heaven to pursue you, to follow you, to chase you down with his goodness and steadfast love. He is the good shepherd who became the sacrificial lamb so that for the rest of your life, what follows, even in trouble, even in the deepest, darkest valley, is only his goodness and mercy, and only they will have the last to say in your life. That's what it means to have God as your shepherd. That's what it means to have him shepherd our church, that God is leading us, he is leading you to green pastures, to still waters. He's, he's restoring your soul. He's healing. He's retrieving. He's reviving your soul. It means God is present with you. And his presence, even in the midst of trouble, is then experienced as a feast. And the way that that, that, that wine and food satisfy the taste buds of your, t- of your tongue, his presence and his joy and his comfort stimulates and satisfies the taste buds of your soul. And he is following you. He is chasing after you with goodness and mercy for the rest of your life. I want to experience that, don't you? I want you to experience that in your life. My prayer for our church is that we together would experience a more intensified sense of him as a shepherd in our lives. That of God shepherding and caring and leading and walking with and following us for the rest of our lives. And you know what? Everything else flows from that. Everything else should come from that. Okay, when you know God is your shepherd, when you're abiding in his presence and, and enjoying his presence, you know what else comes? Community, deep, intimate, loving, sacrificial community. Do you know what else comes? Mission. Not only love for Jesus, not only love for, for your brothers and sisters, but love for your, for your neighbor, love for your city. All of those things, without knowing God is your shepherd, become hard. They become frustrating. They'll, they'll wear you down. Those things are so important and we will do them. But first you must know God as your shepherd who leads you, cares for you, who's present with you and is following after you. Let's stand and pray.